and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, the, to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Amen. You may be seated. Um, I want to I want to say thanks to our worship team. Uh, thank you guys for for leading on short notice this week. It really is a blessing um, to have such a a big team that we can just call on help and in, in, in a moment's notice. I don't know if you guys know this, but fall brings sickness. Um, I'm sure that you've you've been affected, and so uh, we have. Uh, a spot in our worship service that is very, two spots that are the preacher and the worship leader. And so uh, we're, we're in a season where, you know, we have to make quick changes. And uh, thank you, God, that you've given us such a big a team for worship. And so um, I'm grateful that Chandler would lead and that Elizabeth and Brian would join him. And so I just want to say thank you to you guys. Also, y'all did an awesome job learning a new song today, Joy to Be. That's one of my favorite songs. Um, I hope that we get to play it more and more, but uh, well done. You guys, you guys are good at, at learning new songs. Having only worshiped together for just a few months, that happens a lot. And so that's not just for this morning. That's like, y'all have been doing a great job learning brand new songs that some of you maybe have never heard before. So um, well done. Uh, for those of you I don't know, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. You got to meet Brian earlier um, and it's good for us to be with you this morning. It's good for us to uh, rejoice in the Lord always, right? And at, at, I'm going to take the risk of sounding too cheesy, but what a good call to worship, what a good uh, worship set that we got to partake in in our text this morning. What a fitting morning right before Thanksgiving to where the concept of gratitude, thanksgiving, and worship shows up three times in our passage. And we have so much to be thankful for in Christ. So I hope this morning I'm able to help you see that. I'm, I hope this morning that your hearts are filled with the goodness and grace of Christ um, to lead you into thanksgiving and worship as we go and celebrate with our families and our friends uh, on Thursday. And so um, like, like Forrest said, we are in Colossians 3 verses 12 through 7. Thank you for coming back after the message last week, 5 through 11. It's hard for us to sit um, and realize um, that there's a reality to our sin that sometimes, sometimes we're hyper aware of, and so it leads to despair, but a lot of times we're not really fully aware of the depth of our sin, are we? There's a Martin Lloyd-Jones quote that he says, uh, we're on really good terms with ourselves, I think that's mostly true. I think there's times where we're on really terrible terms with ourselves, but for the most part, we are on good terms with ourselves. We're not fully aware of the depth of our sin. And so a message um, that Paul has for us, that the Holy Spirit has for us in, in verses 5 through 11 is necessary for us to see that against these, the wrath of God is coming. That's important. And it would be easy for me to summarize those passages and say, stop doing bad things. And then to come up here this morning and say, start doing good things. Stop being angry and malicious and gossipy 
and divisive and start being kind and humble and gentle and patient and loving. That would be easy. That would be easy for us to hear. That would be easy for us to apply, but I don't want easy for you. I want you to have life in Jesus. And so this morning, instead of looking at a moral to-do list, stop doing this, start doing this, we're going to look at our identity in Christ. What the Holy Spirit says to us in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. We can misinterpret verses 5 through 17 as put the old self away, put it to death, put sin to death, and put on the new self. Be better. Do better. It's easy for us to do that. We can easily misinterpret this text. That is as crazy as stapling fresh fruit to a dead tree. All we're doing is behavior modification. And Christ died for more than behavior modification, right? Colossians 3, we said last week, Colossians 3 is about renewal. Not having a better version of morality. It's not how to be a better Christian. It's about renewal, being changed and transformed, being transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. The language used there is passive on the part of the recipient. You were transferred. You did not transfer yourself. So when we put on, it's like we're we're putting on clothes that have been given to us. Colossians 3 is about renewal. We begin this life spiritually dead, evil, enemies with God. But now because of Jesus, we are chosen by God, holy and beloved. Renewal is not the transformation of what we do. It is the transformation of who we are and the virtues that we see in 12 through 17 is what life is like in the nature of being in Christ. So don't add to your list of things to stop doing and start doing. Scrap it all together. Jesus cared a lot less about people's good works. In fact, he had a lot more harsh things to say about the people who built up their religion on good works, didn't he? How was he to the sinner? How was he to the person who couldn't get it together? He was tender. He was kind. That's how he is to us. There's a a beautiful and and difficult book in the Old Testament named Hosea. It's one of the prophets. It it tells a story of, of God's prophet Hosea. And he's called by God to marry a professionally promiscuous woman. Her name is Gomer, and Gomer, because of her shame, is reluctant to marry Hosea. Gomer, um, we're having a, a, a baby in January. You can be safe to know that Gomer is not on the list of baby names for us. Gomer is reluctant to marry Hosea, but she does. Even in her shame, she marries him. 
and they have children, but throughout their entire relationship, she wrestles with her new identity as a dearly loved wife and mother. God calls Hosea to love her, to form a union with her, but she retreats back into her sin. She goes back to slavery. The prophet Hosea, his life, this story of Gomer, is a prophecy against the kingdom of Israel, against Israel rejecting God again and again and again. And it's a warning to Israel that if they continue to do this, the wrath of God is coming. Gomer could not grasp her new identity. Her return to slavery and Israel's repetitive rejection of God is not just Gomer's story. It's not just Israel's story. It's also our story. Gomer rejected her identity. She couldn't, she couldn't grasp it. Israel struggled constantly being the chosen people of God. We, too, have a broken understanding of who we are in Christ. This is the place that we constantly have to come back to. Not, I know what I should do. I know what I should stop doing. No, we don't come back to a list. We don't come back to morality. We don't come back to stapling fresh fruit on a dead tree. We come back to our identity in Christ. Chosen, holy, beloved. Not only is it possible for us to repeat our former sins, this list in 5 through 11. Not only is it possible, but it is inevitable. We are not in sin anymore. For those of us who put our faith and hope in Christ, we are now in Christ, displaced from being in sin to now being in Christ. But we will still struggle with the flesh that clings so closely to us. In his letter to the Roman church, Paul describes the same cycle of sin in Romans 7. As a young Christian, this was uh, chapter 7 and 8 I came back to constantly. Even though I really did not understand it, Paul's kind of hard to understand sometimes. Even Peter admits that, which makes me feel a whole lot better. But when we read Romans 7, especially at the end, we see a little bit of what Gomer was going through. We see a little bit of what Israel was constantly doing and rejecting God. We see our constant temptation to return to sin. Let's look at Romans 7, verses 18 and 19. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. This cycle of sin for us is inevitable. We, we will struggle because Christ has not come back for us yet. He's not brought us yet into redemption with him. So we still live burdened by the flesh, hurt by our sins and other people's sins, what happens to us and what we do to ourselves when we inevitably struggle with sin. How is the Father towards us then? Let's just sit for a moment and ask some questions. 
what, what is your cycle? How is the Father towards me when I struggle to respond with patience and long-suffering with my kids, when I have to repeat myself again and again and again? How is the Father towards me when I'm overcome with frustration and lash out in anger towards them? How is the Father towards me? How is the Father towards you? When you're scrolling through Instagram, accidentally, hoping to accidentally run into something that you're not supposed to see. How is the Father towards you? When you, out of your insecurities, when maybe on purpose other people hurt you, and your initial response might be to, to go and gossip about them, to lash out in anger towards them. This is, this is not just one person's sin or another person's sin. Paul is writing this to the entire church, that we all have these temptations that we give into. How is the Father towards us when our sin is undisciplined, uncontrolled? Would you be surprised if I told you that the Father in Christ responds to you with gentleness and tenderness? Not how you might respond to yourself, not how other people might have responded to you before. Pastor Dane Ortland, he's a pastor in uh, Naperville, uh, suburb outside of Chicago. He wrote the book Gentle and Lowly that you'll see on our resource wall. Um, those were given to us, and we'll be doing a study in January through those books. And so if you uh, have heard about Gentle and Lowly and you want to grab one, we've got those. Um, but we'll also be having, that. we'll be passing those out in January. So please come uh, as a part of that study. But in his book, in chapter 7, um, uh, Joel and, and Brian were helping me just reorient some of my thinking over the last couple of weeks. They were reminding me um, that I am not what I do. I am in Christ. So Dane Ortland says uh, in chapter 7 of this book, he asks the question, how does a holy God respond to us in our sin? This is his question. How does the Father respond to us? For those who are not in Christ, sins evoke holy wrath. That's the only proper response of a holy God. But to those who are in Christ, sins evoke holy longing holy love, holy tenderness. For those of us in Christ, the Father is eager to restore us. Is that right? Do we, do we believe that? Do we actually feel that? When you fail to be forgiving, he forgives you. When you fail to hold your tongue in anger, he's gentle and he's kind towards you. When you give in to sexual temptation, the Father is eager to welcome you back because the debt of your sin has already been paid in Christ. You are in Christ. God forgives. God receives. God welcomes. He's eager to bear that burden. There's a John Ortberg uh, book is called You Have a Soul, 
which seems obvious, but you start reading the book and you're like, oh man, I don't think I've ever realized that I have a soul before. And he talks about the way that sin weighs on us. In our, con- our life, we make it into a pursuit of easing the burden of sin. And so we turn to so many things to try to ease the burden of sin, make life easier for us. But he says, your soul was not designed for an easy life. Your soul was designed for an easy yoke. And so Christ says to us in Matthew, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is eager to forgive, eager to restore. And so when we, when we do engage in what we know to be sin and we feel shame and we don't come to the Father, that's because our understanding of our identity is broken. Like Gomer, like historical Israel, our identity of our, who we are is broken because we forget. You guys ever forgotten anything? We forget who we are. And so it's easy for us to think of ourselves as what we do. The bad things and the good things. But that's not our identity. It's our nature to feel shame. The, the passages 5 through 17, that's not a new list to us. We're not coming in here on Sunday mornings surprised. Oh, I should stop being angry. I should start being kind. We know this. We know what we should do. But what's harder for us, the the turn that's harder for us to make is who we are. We need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. So how, we know how God responds to our sin. How do we respond to our sin? God responds with tenderness and longing and love. How do we respond when we sin or when others sin against us? Verse 16, I'm going to skip ahead. Colossians 3, verse uh, 16. Let's go back there. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That word dwell. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This means let the word of Christ be at home in you. Let it live in your head, in your heart, in your hands. That word dwell is the same concept that Jesus uses when he tells his disciples, abide in me, remain in me. The word of Christ there is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Let the gospel be at home in your life. Dwell in you richly means make space for it. Don't crowd it with other influences. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What this means is is something that I, I just referred to. We are so prone to forget. So how do we remember? Well, first of all, we worship and I'll, I'll get to this in a little bit, but we, our worship together is not just our singing to Jesus. It's our singing to one another about Jesus and about who we are. And so when we sing this last song, 
I want you just to take a minute and listen to the voices around you. Not everybody at one time, because then there wouldn't be any. But take a moment and just soak it in. Because the church sings to the church and to Jesus. We worship Jesus. He, he receives our glory. But we preach to the church through our song. I've got two things to ask you to do this week. And hopefully for the rest of your life, because you will spend a lifetime forgetting who you are. Spend a lifetime reminding yourself that you are in Christ. Okay, so two things. First, would you take the time, would you take the time to pray? Ask God to, uh, like we did last week, ask God to inspect your heart and to show you your own heart. And listen, listening is a a critical part of prayer that we often overlook because we're ready to move on to the next thing. Ask God to show you where you are reluctant to receive your identity in Christ. My personal history is one that is full of rejection and abandonment. It's hard for me to receive my identity in Christ as chosen, holy, and beloved because I'm, I'm quick to hold out a hand and say, well, I'm going to protect myself. I'm not going to believe that readily because I don't want to be abandoned or rejected again. But your acceptance in Christ is permanent because he was resurrected from the grave. And now he's sitting sitting by the Father in heaven, and he gives you the Holy Spirit as your seal of acceptance. If you are in Christ, you are never abandoned or rejected. So take that time. What have other people said about you? What have other people said to you? What have you said to yourself about your identity, who you are? Respond to those things with Colossians 3.12. No, I am chosen, holy, and dearly loved by God. I will not be abandoned. The second thing I want you to do, this one is is much more challenging. I tried to do this. Um, Look yourself in the mirror. It's going to be awkward push right through that. You're the only one there. Look yourself in the mirror and tell yourself you are holy, chosen, and beloved. Joe, you are holy, chosen, and beloved. Lauren, you are holy, chosen, and beloved. Zach, You are holy, chosen, and beloved. Say it to yourself until you believe it. And say it again. And say it again. Because it's true. It's the truest thing about you. We we believe so many other lies about who we are. The truest thing about you is that you are in Christ. And in Christ, you are chosen, holy, and beloved. What does this have to do with our obedience? What does this have to do with our putting on this new self? Our obedience comes from who we are in Christ. So our, the renewal is the transformation 
of our identity. But the fruit of renewal is our obedience. The Bible's clear. Faith without works is dead, right? Obedience is fruit. That's not how we earn God. That's not how we earn love. But it's what comes out of our our nature and our identity being in Christ. So there is a responsibility to obey. But to understand our obedience, we have to understand and believe our identity. It's to believe that you are chosen, holy, and beloved. To understand that in Christ, God loves you at your most unlovable. He forgives you in your most unforgivable. He bears with you in your most unbearable. Before you can be humble, compassionate, kind, patient, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, you have to understand that this list is not just how you should be. It is how Christ is towards you. We love because he first loved us. Jesus says himself, just as you have been forgiven, so you also must forgive. This putting on our new self is an, a, a fruit, an outpouring of Christ in us. It doesn't produce Christ in us. It's taking the, the stapled fruit off the dead tree and bringing the tree back to life. Can you do that? Can you bring yourself back to life? Absolutely not. We have to trust the work of Christ in us to bear the fruit of a living tree. So why would God want us to obey him? Last week I used um, the story of my kids' Halloween candy. And I also used the story of of my uh, struggle to not eat all of the haichu. Have y'all ever had haichu? It's like everything Starburst and Now and Laters wish they could be. I, you can get a bag for $5 at Five Below. I'd encourage you to do that. But I use that story of my kids begging for more and more candy. Why do I not want them to indulge themselves in candy? Why do I want to lead them in obedience? Because I want what's best for them, Right? Only eating sugar is not healthy for children. It's not healthy for anyone. So why would I ask them to curb their cravings, to discipline themselves, to not eat so much candy? Because I love them. Because I want them to treat each other and themselves the way that I treat them. So why does God want our obedience? Because he loves us. He designed us to receive his love and that out of an overflow of his love, we're able to love each other. He's designed us for that. He's designed us to receive forgiveness and offer forgiveness. He's designed us to receive his love and offer love. He just wants us, this is part of his restoring all things. The second coming of Christ that we've talked about in Advent The first coming of Christ was the inauguration of this, that that Jesus comes as the Messiah and says, I'm here, the kingdom is here, I'm ready to restore all things. And it started, it started on our insides and our souls. And when he comes again, he's gonna restore everything. 
So we can trust that when God tells us, not a list of things to do, but a way to be in Christ as chosen, holy, and beloved children, that this is our good. And when we wrestle with that, when we fail to be kind, humble, patient, meek, we can come back. We can say, there must be something wrong with my identity. Sin is a surface issue. Acting out in sin is a surface issue of something broken deep down inside. So this is what, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly has to say. That we've got to come back to this gospel. We've got to come back to who we are in Christ. We love because he first loved us. We forgive because we have been forgiven. Let's look at verses 14 through 15 in Colossians 3. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's how we were designed. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ, so let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. In Jesus' time on earth, and many years later, uh, the, the Roman Empire had this concept that was known globally. Pax Romana. Anybody know what Pax Romana is? The peace of Rome. Roman peace. It was a conditional opportunity to experience peace. If you submit, if you comply, your life's going to go well. Pay your taxes, honor Caesar, sacrifice in the temples, be a part of Roman progression and productivity, your life's going to go just fine. You'll have safety, security, the wealth of Rome, Pax Romana, conditional peace. This wasn't an invention of Rome. This is a human problem, conditional love and peace. It, it was before Rome, it's, it's after Rome. That's all we know is that we've got to earn our love from our friends and our family, right? That's not entirely true. But we, we live this way, and we falsely apply this to God. We assume that, that because he's hard to understand, God's probably a lot like us. We make him like us because we're used to making ourselves like him, and so we make him like us, and we think that he's got conditional love and peace. This is why this returning to sin, this forgetting our identity is such a problem because we're constantly going back to Pax Romana. But Paul says here, let Pax Christiana rule your hearts. The peace of Christ. John 14, verse 27. Jesus himself, his very words, he says, I give you peace. He just told the disciples he's leaving. They're freaking out. He's been telling them for how many weeks, months, years that he would die, that he wouldn't be here all the time. And he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send you the helper. And then he says in verse 27, I'm giving you my peace. 
My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So don't be anxious. Don't be afraid. The peace of Christ is unconditional because you are in Christ. For the only man to have ever walked a perfect life, that's given to you. You don't have anything to earn. You have nothing to prove. You are at peace with God because you have nothing to prove. Jesus has already lived the perfect life and given it to you. His perfect life is credited to you. You have nothing to lose because Jesus gave up everything on the cross. You're at peace because you have nothing to earn because Jesus gives you everything you need in his resurrected life. I'm gonna repeat those three things one more time. You have nothing to prove because Jesus lived the perfect life that's now yours. You have nothing to lose because Jesus gave up his entire life to make you right with God. And you have nothing to earn because Jesus gives you everything you need in his resurrected life. The peace of Christ is that you are permanently at peace with God and you permanently have the opportunity for peace with one another. You don't have to fight for love and peace and glory. We simply rest in what Christ has done. We rest in our identity as chosen, holy, and beloved. Now, I'm going to come back to something I started with. Um, it's Thanksgiving week, so naturally, you may have noticed there's three instances of Thanksgiving. This, uh, in verse, um, where is it, 15? And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are all called in one body, and be thankful. It seems like a, just like a, Oh yeah, don't forget, be thankful. Paul repeats thanksgiving three times on purpose. It's a literary device. Three times is emphasis. To, to show us that one of those fruits of our identity being in Christ is worship. The word thankfulness, thanksgiving, gratitude that we see in Scripture is the same word that we use for worship. Our, our singing, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, is an outpouring, it's a fruit of our identity in Christ, being transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. But our worship is also, it is singing, it is also our preaching the gospel are letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly and the peace of Christ ruling our hearts is worship. And when we take this truth that we know for ourselves to our brothers and sisters, because how many times have you gone to a friend or a friend has come to you in shame in their sin? Or maybe you know that they want to or they need to, but they won't because of shame and guilt. They don't need to know. You don't need to know the list of things that you should have done. You don't need a better list of things to do next time. We know this. 
Sometimes we need to be reminded, but by and large, what we need is the tenderness of Jesus, the grace of the Father, that we are in Christ, chosen, holy, and beloved. What would this church look like next year, three years from now, five years from now? If the city of San Angelo, every time they heard Redeemer San Angelo, they thought, oh, those people, oh, they preach the gospel to themselves. Those, those people are in Christ. They know who they are. They know whose they are. They know where they stand with God. Man, what a vision of the church that that would overflow into worship and gratitude and singing and preaching the gospel and the word being richly alive and at home in your hearts. We meet one another's shame with love. We remind our brothers and sisters that they are chosen, holy, and beloved. We are in Christ. Even in the midst of our shame and our guilt from sin that we just committed, we are still and already in Christ. And so we go to verse 17. Keep this concept of identity fresh. Whether, whether we sin and we're wrestling with that, we're wrestling with our flesh, or we're able to preach the gospel to our brothers and sisters, we're, we're singing, we're, we're grateful to God. the word of Christ and the peace of Christ at home in us. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, do it knowing who you already are in Christ, that your identity is a chosen, holy, beloved child of God. In Christ. When we inevitably wrestle with our inner Gomer, when we go through this Romans 7 cycle of sin. See, Romans 7, there's a, the, the latter half of this. We've talked about this before, right? Romans 7 ends with this emphatic statement. Paul asks a very human question. What a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this body of death? What is my hope? Have you ever asked that of yourself? What is my hope? How am I ever going to stop sinning? How am I ever going to get over this? Paul's answer in verse 25. Thanks be to God, it is through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thanks be to God, it is through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Renewal is not a list of do's and don'ts. Renewal is a complete transformation of your identity, something you did not do for yourself. To be renewed in Christ is to live from the fact that you are chosen, holy, and beloved by your Father in heaven. Now, our sharing in communion this morning, this is a tangible reminder. This is something we get to share together in this morning. Remembering who we are in Christ if you're a believer, would you take and eat? Because you are in Christ and he is in you. God would not have sent God the Son 
God the Father would not have sent God the Son if the outcome of doing that was no more or no less than your being chosen, holy, and beloved. I'm gonna say that again because I messed that up. God the Father would not have sent God the Son to have his body broken and his blood poured out if the purpose was anything other than you becoming chosen, holy, and beloved. Take and eat. Christ is in you, and you are in him. If you are not a believer, what other time do you have than now? Come talk to us. Let us pray with you. Let us, let us help you understand what this means. Holy Father, we trust you to be who you say you are. We trust you when you tell us that you are slow to anger, compassionate and kind. We know that you have given all things into the hands of your son and that we are in him and he is in us. God, we fail to remember constantly our identity Would you remind us by your Holy Spirit? Would you remind us by the Spirit at work in us, but also in your church as we sing together? As we have relationships with other believers, would you help them to remind us of who we are? That we are already, regardless of what we do, we are already chosen, holy, and beloved. And God, would this produce the fruit of worship gratitude in our whole life, not just on Sunday mornings. Would you let this be a gospel that we preach to ourselves and we preach to our brothers and sisters and that our neighbors here, that they see how rooted in Christ we are, they see how transformed our identity is, that we have peace and love unconditionally. God, would you lead us to worship you this morning? pray these things in the name of your Holy Son.